Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. The conversation of the nation still hangs in the balance, I suppose. We are all talking about COVID-19. I hope you had a good day yesterday. It was St. Patrick's Day. Probably the most unusual St. Patrick's Day we will ever have and we will talk about it to our children and our grandchildren and everybody and every single generation ahead of that as well because it is the most unusual. Patrick's Day has only ever been, well, postponed once back in 2001 for the foot and mouth but this time, of course, it's cancelled and unlikely to be held at any future time this year. But, of course, we can all look forward to next year in St. Patrick's Day and that's one thing that we should focus on right now. Everybody listening today, Please, please focus on the fact that this time next year, no matter what happens, I can be absolutely sure of it by this time next year, we will try and get back and we should be back to some level of normality and we should have our Patrick's Day parade again. It was lovely to see people around the country celebrating St. Patrick's Day and having little parades in the house and grandparents looking through windows and parades down their little street. The best one I've seen, I think it was in Finglas or Cabra, I'm not too sure, where they had their own parade with St. Patrick banishing the COVID uh, off the street. Now, as you know, last night, Taoiseach Leo Varadka addressed the nation. And I have to say, you know, I was never, all, I was never always a big fan fan of Leo. I don't, you know, I'm not saying I didn't like the guy. You know, I mean, in fairness to Fine Gael, they've done a good job of bringing the country back from the brink from 2009 uh, to this point. But sadly, obviously, this is going to have a huge economic effect on the country. Um, you know, Ender, he was all right. Leo wasn't really a fan. But last night, and I think generally speaking, throughout the last three or four days in particular, and I think everybody has to just pause for a second and think that the individuals, Simon Harris, Simon Coveney, Leo Varadkar, and all those in government at the moment who are currently uh, the sitting government at the moment, most of them are probably working 18 hours a day. And they're trying to get us through this. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to get things wrong every now and again. They're going to do things maybe that, you know, we shouldn't think they'd do, or maybe they're not doing something quick enough. Uh, and we all have questions to ask, and they're trying to do as many things as possible at the one time. And I think, you know, give them a bit of space. I think they're doing a good job. Um, I just really believe they're doing a good job. And I think we should be very proud of not just our health workers, and I know he described last night our health workers as the heroes without the capes, but I also believe the heroes in this too is our leaders on this particular occasion. We can give out about the government all year round, and we do. We give out about them all the time, particularly when we had the housing crisis. But all the things that we've talked about in the past on the show, like the housing crisis and all those things, seem to pale into some level of insignificance at the moment. And they have a very difficult task ahead of them. And certainly the next few months are going to be very, very telling. And Leo Varadkar last night said we're in the middle of a global and national emergency and pandemic, the likes of which no one has ever seen before. And he's right. And not just the pandemic, but the economic collapse globally of the world and the amount of money this is going to cost. And don't want to put money before lives because money should never come before lives. But of course, we have to look at the repercussions of the economic uh, devastation that this is bringing to people, the hardship and the poverty that could follow this as well. Um, so uh, give them a thought, you know, no matter what you've had to say about them in the past, I think there's one thing that we're all focused on at the moment, and that's making it better again. Uh, we want to take your calls today by the way if something good happened over the weekend or should I say well, I keep saying over the weekend on Paddy's Day which was yesterday it seems like it was the weekend please let us know if you had a little parade in your house I want to hear about it if you figured out something
something by the way if you're in self-isolation or you're isolating yourself or you're working from home and you're at home like all of us we can't go out anywhere we're not going to restaurants bars pubs whatever it is and you've kind of figured out a way to occupy your mind and occupy your idle hands please let us know I heard a great one this morning about people having a pub quiz but having it at home through Skype with numerous couples paying a fiver each to get into it I think that's a great idea you know so I think any ideas like that to keep us all a little bit occupied and take our mind off the anxiety uh, that this is creating let us know uh, and the number is 087188008 and also by the way if you don't agree with me as some people are not by text here and you think the government are not doing a great job I want to hear from you too and I want to find out why you believe what more you believe they could be doing for you uh, the first thing I want to do today is I want to speak to Paul McAuliffe who's a Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin North West Paul good afternoon to you uh, good afternoon, Niall. How are you? It's a tough time. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at home with two kids, like a lot of parents um, homeschooling, and already we've suspended two of the students and the teachers resigned. So, all right, okay. Um, I, th- I, I think I think I think we're all grappling with the new yes. reality. I think particularly Niall. Uh, I suppose in the last day or two, I've noticed the calls we're receiving are from those people who've lost their job, yeah. uh, and I, I think that's. That's something we never thought we'd be back to so soon, and uh, I think it's it's you know there's a lot of difficulties of people applying for social welfare queries and so on. And as you say, the system it, 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 this has been sprung on everybody. Well, and I mean, we're Paul, have to make it, sure that it responds. It took it took us nine years, roughly, uh, to create 180,000 jobs. And it's taken us nine days to take them back away again, which is a, it's devastating uh, for the economy of the country. Now, hopefully many of those people will get their jobs back when we get through this. Uh, and that hopefully won't take too long for us all to get through this globally, not just here in Ireland. But there's loads of questions, I suppose, Paul, that people have. Now, I know the Minister, Pascal Dunne, is meeting with the banks today uh, in relation to mortgages, because everybody is not only worried about the COVID, and of course, we're all very concerned about that. We're also concerned about the economic point of view and what happens if we lose our job? You know, what happens if my business goes bust? Uh, I'm self-employed, for example. What happens if my business goes bust? I, I employ five people. How does that work out? Can the government give me a few quid to keep them on? All these questions want to be answered. I know there's a million questions and a million tasks for government. How do you think they're dealing with that right now? Well, I think, first of all, on the public health side, uh, I think uh, all of the expertise from the uh, European level, uh, like we've got some great leaders in public health, Tony Holland, Paul Reid, um, all of the people who, who are on that side. And I think you know you can't criticise in any way what's been done, largely because it's been done from the public health playbook. It's exactly what needs to be done at the right times by medical advice. And I have to have to say it's been done in a very competent way by those ministers who are serving us at the moment. Um, I suppose the economic issues are very important as well because... As you say, it took us nine years to recover from an economic difficulty, and we don't want to make that worse, um, while at the same time making sure life um, uh, is is the most important, uh, protecting life is the most important one. So what I imagine the government will want to do, and what ministers want to do, is to keep the system flowing, to keep us going out and buying our goods, to keep people working where they can in a safe way. But how how are we going to do that, Paul, when there's absolute and utter apprehension out there and people are not spending money. You walk into your average shop that sells unnecessary goods, you know, your electronics, your TVs, your sofas, your even mortgages. I spoke to somebody this morning in the mortgage industry. He's a broker and he's had three mortgages cancelled this week. Uh, three loans that were supposed to be drawn down this week for houses cancelled, right? I mean, those unnecessary things, although you wouldn't say housing would be unnecessary, but those unnecessary things, people are not spending money. Donald Trump is introducing a stimulus package to try and encourage people to get out and spend money uh, as they would before because of the apprehension 
apprehension. How do we take that apprehension out of society when we're in a state of play at the moment, by, according to Leo, where we don't know if it's going to last three weeks, three months, it could be next autumn. We don't know. So how do we take the apprehension out? I, I, I think as the, as the days develop, um, we will get more relaxed and there's a worry about that because then that will mean we'll get more relaxed about the public health measures. But where people can and where people continue to be paid and where people can safely go to work, that's the reason why we haven't gone into lockdown is because that allows us in a safe way make sure that the economy ticks over while this is happening. Because we know what happens when an economy collapses and we know how long it takes uh, to, come, to come back. And we also know that there are big questions out there waiting to be answered on housing and health that needed to be answered nine days ago and they still will need to be answered when all of this is over with a bigger bill. So that's why everybody going about uh, their economic life as much as they can is important. But there are people who just can't do that. So there will be shops that don't have customers and that will close um, and those employees will be out of work. And, 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 what, and, and what are we going to do about that? Because Boris Johnson has already said that he's making available £25,000 grants for small business, uh, not loans, because that'll put them under pressure to have to pay it back again, uh, but grants for small business of 25000 that they can draw down to keep their business open. What are we doing for small business at the moment? Well, I think there's a, there's a range of measures and I suppose we have, we probably have put the public health side first before okay. the economic side, whereas I think in the UK they've done that the other way around. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think certainly the lo- very low threshold that we're placing for the emergency COVID-19 six-week payment for unemployment, it's not, not near what people will be getting in their normal work. But the fact that people can apply for that and hopefully that will be processed really quickly and get, get back out to people. And I understand that that's also going to be available to parents who can't go to work during this period as well and who aren't who, 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 who lose money as well so that payment is available and that will be an injection into, in, into the economy if people can still keep getting money then they will be able to spend food in the shops and they'll be able to, to, to keep, keep those shops open And how, so and how, are, how are you working Paul with, with the enemy so to speak uh, the confidence and supply agreement of course still kind of stands as a sitting government but how are Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael working I, I'm assuming everybody is leaving politics aside when it comes to this particular matter well, in many ways, I suppose it's deeply frustrating as a TD. The, the job often as a public representative, whether you're a councillor, TD, or senator, Lord Mayor, whatever you are, your job often is, is to try and explain to people what's going on in the system, and secondly, to spot the gaps that arise as they come and complain about different things. You go, actually, there's something wrong here in the system, and, and it needs to change. Um, and I suppose for the last number of weeks, um, with the doll not sitting, we haven't been able to do that. There's a huge amount of work on the table now of most public representatives at all levels, explaining all of these new uh, criteria and working with people. people. A lot of people aren't online, Noel. A lot of people aren't online. They rely on media like radio and television and newspapers. Uh, and, you know, even the basic things like getting the form printed out for that emergency payment. You know, I've had uh, bundles of forms left in the letterbox of my constituency office um, so that people can drop down and take those, take those and, forms. And to remind people, you can do that by free post, by the way. You don't have to do it yeah. online. You can pick up the form and do it by free post. Uh, because yeah, a lot exactly. of people, particularly but, older people, are not online. Yeah. So, so supporting, like an old man rang me this morning saying he was afraid to leave his house to collect his pension. And I said, actually, on post, have a special arrangement to open from Friday at 8 a.m. in the morning to allow older people to do that before other customers arrive uh, later later on in, in, in the day, uh, he thought he had to stay in the house and he couldn't leave. Uh, and I was explaining, no, you can go for a walk, keep your social distance. So that's the job of a public... Of a and public I, and I, I understand that older people are afraid to leave the house. And in the UK, they've asked them to stay indoors for four months. 
or to cocoon as, as we're calling it over here. And I think that's what they want to do because although you're saying it's grand to go down to the post office and collect your money uh, and keep your social distance, they're still afraid they might bump into somebody they know. Or, of you course, know, or, yeah. or, you know, So there, there is that fear, particularly for and, older and people. And I think, I think cocooning will come. The Taoiseach alluded to that last night. Cocooning will come in Ireland and that will involve uh, the community. I already see places like the Fingers Force Responders, uh, community groups in our area getting out and supporting older people. But you're right in saying that we also need a government. Uh, like Minister Regina Doherty has been very busy explaining and putting in place all, the, all of these issues, but she currently isn't a, a elected, and there are other ministers in that scenario. And we can't have that go on for an indeterminate period of time. The first time I spoke in the doll was um, in the days after the first case when the school in, uh, in my constituency was closed. And at the time, we weren't speaking about where, where it was. Uh, and I said we need to treat this like a war. Now, one of the people said that I was being alarmist. But that is the way it has panned out. Well, well that's and the quote it, I heard this morning on the radio in America. It's called, yeah, they're classing yeah. it as wartime economics. Yeah, and war economics means that every resource of the state is dedicated to that, to, to that battle. And that's what's happening now. And if you look in a very unprecedented way, uh, we're opening up funding to projects that in peacetime you wouldn't, norm- you wouldn't normally do. But to do that, and to do that for a sustained period of time, with a government that isn't elected and, more importantly, doesn't have a majority. So, for example, legislation that will be passed tomorrow in the Dáil um, will need a majority to pass it. Now, there are special powers that are being granted to the state. Will all parties give the government those special powers? Because in the past, special powers have been a very confront- uh, uh, confrontational thing, controversial thing. Um, so there's going to be these things that arise on different issues where there be political differences. So we need a government, absolutely. Uh, we uh, need a government uh, uh, with a strong mandate. And more importantly, Niall, when all this is over, in... The oh, there's period, going to be a recovery period, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we like, need a good so government there, a strong government there. We're still going to have all those issues that we had nine days ago, uh, housing and health and homelessness. But the problem is, we're going to have less resources to do it. Okay, but, then, um, but this, is, this is the point that I want to raise to you in relation to the resources, Right. Everybody is in the same boat. Every country, I mean, is in the same boat at the moment. Okay, there's different... One or two countries are taking different approaches. Like, I believe the Dutch, by the way, are taking the same approach as the British, which is, let's all just catch us and see what happens, uh, which is probably not the best approach to be taken. We've taken the strategy that has been employed by most countries uh, in the world, which is the kind of lockdown strategy or self-isolation strategy and social distance strategy, right? Which is to try and, as they say, the, the term, I'm sure people are sick, listen to it, flatten the curve. But the backbone of this country is the small business. And I am going to talk to the director of the Small Business uh, or the Small Firms Association in a second. But they are the backbone of this country. Without them, we have nothing. Uh, there is the big industry, of course, as well, which has to be protected. But they, they can swallow up a lot of the losses on this. They can absorb a lot of the losses. The small businesses can't. And I haven't really seen that being addressed so much. I heard the revenue come out last week and saying, oh, well, look, you don't have to pay penalties and fines if you're late paying. That's no good to a small business. He doesn't have the money for his VAT bill, you know, next month when it comes in. And you take, uh, I'm sorry to go on about it, but you, uh, from a selfish point of view, the media, you spoke about how important the media is. And Leo Varadka mentioned last night, journalists and media giving people information, which is vital. I can tell you now, the independent sector of radio will not be here in four months' time if they don't get some sort of package or stimulus package. And as we, spe- as we talk at the moment, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland give out a grant every year. That grant, by the way, is £15 million, uh, to small directors and producers who wanted to, uh, to make little films or whatever it happens to be to go out on radio or TV. 
that should be suspended, that money given out to the independent sector, so we could be all as safe as RTE, who are over there thinking everything is grand for us, should we get funded by the state anyway? So the independent sector are absolutely terrified. They've lost probably 40% of their advertising in the last two weeks. And you know, Lyle, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head, because this is going to affect the whole spectrum. So if, for example, we release huge amounts of state resources and we, we, we give that out, then ultimately towards the end of the year and next year, we will end up having to make cuts in services, which will re- result in job losses at, at that end. I know, so, but, 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 but the rules well, have to go to the window, Paul. Whatever, oh, absolutely, the rules do. And, and that's why the message from the last general election basically is, lads, the rule book isn't working, we want to tear it up has to be heard by whoever forms a government. Um, we we in, can in print money, and you know, you, you know the economics of this as, well, as much as I do. In the past, when things have gone wrong, we can literally print money. And what they normally do in these situations is they print money and they give it to the banks. The banks then lend it out, okay? And that's how it works, right? But uh, what Trump is doing at the moment, what Boris is doing at the moment, is feck the banks. Let's just skip the banks, print the money, and give it to the businesses. Give it to businesses who need it so we can survive this economically. Because as much as we do, and we've been talking constantly, we will talk more today about the lives that are at stake and public health that's at stake. That's really important. But what's really important is when we recover from this, that people are still in jobs and people can move forward and their lives are not destroyed. So, for example, on a selfish point again, if we don't start to say talk to the broadcasting authority and say listen we need to release this 15 million that you keep every year and suspend this particular grant program for one year and give it to independent sector particularly local radio stations around Ireland who give local information and are vital vital in this country and if we don't give them money I'm telling you Paul we will not you won't be talking to me in two months time no no and I think the graveness of the economic crisis here probably hasn't hit us yet because I can imagine you can insert the word airline industry or tourism industry mm-hmm. in, exactly the, in exactly the same sentence. And that's why at the moment it's about us pulling together. It's about supporting the ministers who have a job to do. But as times go on, there's going to be political decisions that are made. Political decisions that are based on economics and different views of how uh, economics works. People who believe in one way of doing things and another. And we can't suspend politics forever because politics is about making choices. So there will be differences between my party and Fine Gael or Fine Gael and Sinn Féin or whoever forms uh, the, next, the next government. And it has to be okay at some point to start talking about them again because that's what makes a difference in people's lives. That's why people uh, are so annoyed with the system at the moment, why they feel like they, they were locked out because they didn't have a fair, a fair crack of the whip. In a tighter economic time, they're going to feel that even, even more. So uh, at the moment, it's about a national war effort. But at some point, we're going to start having to, having to rebuild. And at that point, we need A, a strong government, but B, we need to make sure that government responds to people. All right, well, listen, thank you very much indeed. I appreciate you coming on the air, Paul, and well said. Listen, Paul McAuliffe is a Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin Northwest. Also on the line, I want to speak to uh, Sven uh, Spallenbaren, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name properly, who's from the uh, director of the Small Firms Association. Uh, good afternoon to you, Sven. Um, Niall, good afternoon, and thank you for having me on, and I have to compliment you, first of all, on your pronunciation of my name, which is uh, a mouthful, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not that bad, I guess. I've got through worse. <laughs> okay, but, but Sven, I mean, you guys must be very concerned at the moment, as we are, as a small independent business as well, we're an independent radio. I mean, you must be very worried about small business at the moment, which are basically the backbone of this country. 
Yes, yes, we are indeed. So this is a, a crisis, obviously, of, of biblical proportions, and we don't need to try and find words to describe it. This is real a catastrophe for, for small business owners. As, as you rightly said earlier, there's 267,000 uh, small businesses in this country, and they um, employ currently, uh, as of two weeks ago, half of uh, the private sector workforce. And uh, uh, our main service to our members as the Small Firms Association has helped them with HR advice and and help them to really keep their doors open. And uh, mm-hmm. you can see from from the careers we're getting, we get literally getting hundreds of phone calls um, every day. Uh, questions are now around um, layoffs, uh, are now around short term, uh, depending on the sector you're in, also about uh, social distancing. If you're a small manufacturer and you want to keep your doors open, how can you actually achieve that? And then lots of questions, obviously, what are the government supports available at the moment? So, so, not- what, so let, let, let's get to that, OK, because there's a lot of people in small business. Be, some of those, by the way, are just self-employed people who are sole traders, plumbers and electricians, etc., etc. And some are businesses who employ maybe anything from two people up to maybe 100 people or so, right? So they're all listening today and they want to know, I'm in trouble now. I'm in real trouble. My business has dropped by 40 or 50%. Uh, and the government are going to be looking for their money at the end of the month, or VAT, that I have to pay them. I know the revenue have already said they will do away with penalties and fines, but they still have to pay the tax. Now, I know in other countries, the governments have said you don't have to pay it. Your grand, hang on to it. We'll waiver that for the moment. We'll come back to you on that next year. What, what are the government doing currently at the moment? Are they, is there any packages there? Is there any, any money they can draw down? Is there any uh, waivers on tax? Is there anything at all in the pipeline? Let's talk about uh, three different areas. And I talk uh, about the, the most important area at the moment. It's uh, the people that small businesses employ or if they're self-employed, looking after themselves. And uh, obviously, um, if you're in a situation like, like a, a small retailer or a business in the tourism industry, uh, you probably have to uh, put people on, on short time or you have to temporarily lay off people. And there's a, a new scheme called um, the COVID-19 Job Seekers Emergency Payment. And that would allow uh, employers to pay their employees for a certain period of time if they are uh, laid off uh, 203 euros uh, a week. So this, the idea is to do this through the employer so that employees don't have to um, go through the process, the lengthy process themselves. There's uh, talks at the moment how employers can claim, claim this back, but this, this is one area. Obviously, so, so is that the suggestion that the employer can claim this money um, for his employee to keep the employee on and, and so, is the employer allowed to then, you know, throw a few quid on top of that to keep his wages the same, or, or is that it? So no, this is this is this is just for for as a short term. This is okay. designed as a short term short term measure for six weeks. Um, yeah, yeah. For 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 six weeks. So the second thing, obviously, that is there is around if you have an employee that has to go into into self um, isolation, um, and uh, there's this uh, three hundred euros something payment a week for the time that the employee is in self isolation. So that's. That's, that's there at the moment as well. Um, and that's once that employee, of course, is certified by the HSE to be requested that's, that's to be safe for the you're, you're really well informed. Uh, okay. the, third, the, third, the third area is then what, what revenue does at the moment. And you, you mentioned earlier that so, yeah, revenue is not going to come after you and chase you for penalties and uh, these kinds of things. But yeah, the revenue currently also uh, offering phase three payments. Um, so this is as it stands as of today. So you can apply through the revenue website but Sven, you could always do that. You could always, if you were struggling you know, as a business, you could always ring them up and say, listen, I don't have the money. Can I do a phased repayment over the next year? Depending on the amount of money it was and provided you didn't owe them a lot of money already. 
But to a lot of small businesses, that's not good enough. Uh, they're saying, well, look, this is unprecedented times. This is uncharted territory. This is somewhere we've never been before. And the revenue need to maybe pull back a little bit. We're hoping to try and get a spokesperson from the revenue on. Because in other countries, what they're saying is, you don't have to pay it. Listen, we'll waiver it. We, we'll help you through this. Surely that's what we should be doing for small business. So, so what you just said, so obviously I'm, I'm the biggest advocate for small business. I'm the big, biggest advocate when it comes to government supports and what actually needs to be done. Your initial question was, what, what can small businesses do at the moment? And um, this, this revenue facility is there if, you, if they want to um, delay payments, if they don't have um, the 30,000 euros to pay uh, or 3,000 euros to pay that VAT bill next week. So that's important for, for, for them to know that that's out there. What's also out there at the moment are a certain number of new loan schemes that the government has launched. Okay. Um, one is available through Microfinance Island for smaller businesses. Um, the Microfinance Island website has been updated recently with the terms and conditions of what is um, available and how small business owners can apply for, for the, the, the loans out there. And By the way, sorry, sorry for interrupting you. When you say small business, does that include, say, a sole trader who's an electrician does, yeah, or no, a plumber so or whatever? Really, so yeah. there's a Microfinance Island scheme uh, is targeted at businesses with less than 10 employees. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's, that's out there. So then the SPCI loan scheme, the Strategic Banking Corporation of Ireland loan scheme, it currently stands at uh, 200 million euros and um, they're currently drafting up um, the terms for this. So this, is, this has been fully published yet, uh, but this is what is out there. What also is, is practical, and you're probably going to say this has been available for small businesses in pre-crisis times as well, for small businesses to talk to the commercial rates office in the rates district they're in and say, listen, guys, I'm actually unable to pay this now. We just need to defer this or we need to put this on the long finger. So um, this is to answer um, the question, what is currently out there? And what, um, about, what, about, what about, and I'm sorry to rush you because I have very little time, but what about, say, for example, businesses who operate in uh, you know, cities where there's high rates? Um, are the local councils going to be you know, wavering uh, rates, say, for a period of time, as they are currently discussing in Northern Ireland and the UK? Are they going to say, well, look, you, know, you can hold off on paying your rates just, you know, in these unprecedented times for maybe you know a two-month period is there anything in the pipeline for that so uh, so now we're talking about what what government should be doing and uh first of all government should be doing everything um, they can to really reduce the cost burden for small business this includes commercial rates this com- com- includes uh, rent payments to uh to uh, state state bodies, this looks uh, should look at uh, electricity bills, any uh, utilities bills. If there can be a holiday, then there should be talk around um, what the revenue can do, not only in terms of deferred payments but waiving payments for a period of time. But you're also then looking at the, the general rescue package. Is 200 million euros enough? As as I just mentioned, it, it most certainly isn't. No, so we not, really no. need to look at at measures. If you look at uh, certain states, are looking at measures that equals five percent of the GDP. Uh, in Ireland, we're not even at one percent, so we're certain we have to up again for that. Yeah, well, I, I heard Trump this morning talking about it. As so far, his first phase was one trillion dollars he's going to put into business and industry in the United States, which is a far cry from what we're even thinking about at the moment. But understandably, we're a much smaller country. But listen, I, I wish all your members well, and I am rooting for every single one. Even I know everybody's behind me when we say that, because of course we all rely on small business in this country, not just the PAYE sector, who have been damaged very badly too. But we're rooting for your small business uh, Sven and I wish you luck and I'm sure we'll talk to you again alright No thank you so much really we appreciate that Ok there you go Sven Spollen Beren who is the director of a Small Firms Association by the way I want to take one or two of your calls after the break how are you getting on how are you feeling are you anxious 
Are you feeling down? Can we cheer you up in some way? Uh, did you have a good day yesterday for St. Paddy's Day? Maybe you did something nice. Maybe something nice happened yesterday and you'd like to tell us about it and cheer us all up. Put a bit of a smile on our face. Let us know. The number is 87 Or indeed, if you're in a small business and you have any questions or maybe you've lost your job and you want to talk about that, uh, let us know. Uh, the number is 87 You can WhatsApp or text or send us an audio message. As usual, we'd like to hear your calls and your texts as well. It's important that we hear what you have to say about it. Of course, we want to try and give you as much information. That's why, unfortunately, we don't get as many callers on the air over the last few days because it's important that we get the right information because that's what everybody wants at the moment. We're all absorbing a lot of information. I know it's a lot for people to take in. I understand that, okay? I want to go to Joey uh, Sheehan, who's head of, the, uh, head of credit at mortgages.ie. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon to Joey. Good afternoon, Nyla. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, something people are very worried about at the moment. You know, we've just gone from having the lowest unemployment rate in history to probably going heading towards the highest unemployment rate in history uh, because a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. A lot of those people have mortgages. Um, what's the first step? Now, of course, Pascal is going to be, Pascal Dunn is going to be talking about this later on because he's meeting the banks today with a view to getting a moratorium um, for people. But what should people do in the interim? Yeah, so obviously, Niall, you know, the whole the whole world, I suppose, and the whole of Ireland has been uh, hit uh, in the last week with, you know, huge, obviously, the, the, the outbreak uh, of this virus, the, the health the health risks and all of that is, is, is catastrophic. And, you know, we all need to, to follow the HSE's advice and, and heed all of that. That's the obvious um, um, issue here. But the fallout from all of that is what's happening to, you know, the people on the street, uh, the, the workers. The, the, the Joe blogs in the streets, like friends of mine, people I know, have been let go in the last week. And um, it looks like there's been, you know, maybe 140,000 uh, let go in the last uh, week, mm-hmm. hopefully on a temporary basis. Uh, there will be more people, That there's no doubt of that. But what I would say is that... And, know, and just, by the way, so just interrupt you there, Joey. You know, if you were, if you were you know, married and, a, say, a sole earner in the house and you've got two kids or something like that, 203 euro from the state is not going to cut it, is it? Yeah, well, it may be slightly higher for for a family and, and with dependents and that, but mm. absolutely. So people people people's income is going to be cut basically in a very short period to to a fraction of what it was. And I suppose you know just just to take some comfort out of this, Nile, there is a lot of people in this boat together. You know, the whole country is going to be affected. You know, we will stick together. We will get through this as a people and absolutely. as a nation. And I'm sure I'm sure you know we're we're all going to do this. But from from a financial point of view. What people need to do is, you know, you'd see things on social media in terms of applying for, for the, the, the COVID payment. Um, there are for people renting. There's the rental support um, for people with mortgages. The first thing you need to do is contact your lender immediately. People will be surprised how receptive their lenders will be in this unprecedented times. So lenders have um, have supports in place for for this type of a scenario, I suppose normally, in usual circumstances, they would have a lot less people uh, looking for relief on, on mortgages due to unemployment or ill health or whatever the reason. But the first thing you do is contact your bank, explain your situation to them that you've been made redundant or whatever the case may be. The bank generally will send you a, a form called a standard financial statement. It's up to you to complete that maybe give some supporting documents such as bank statements and things mm-hmm. like that. You outline, you know, your household, um, you know, two parents, two kids, whatever the case may be. Your bills, your outgoings. Your, your incomings, your outgoings, what commitments you've got. Maybe you've got a car loan, maybe you've got a credit card, credit union loan, whatever the case may be. And the bank will look at your circumstances. And if you're a genuine, you know, a genuine case and you need relief, the bank's 
in ordinary circumstances will give relief and they will give a moratorium or an interest only or something like that for a period of time with the meeting you refer to with Pascal Donoghue and I know the banks are talking to the central mm-hmm. bank and there's a bigger there's a bigger discussion going on there that I'm not privy to but I'm sure that you know the the idea there is basically to fast track something along these lines for yeah, tens, well, people, tens of thousands. Of course, you know? because when you're out of work and it suddenly happens, you might not have the time to be waiting for statements and means and all this to be go ahead. I mean, you literally don't have the money and, and, you, and you have to pay your, your other bills too. And, and hopefully, you know, the likes of your <coughs> service providers, including electricity and gas and everything, will be equally as receptive to people's needs in this really tough time. But I suppose they, they wanted they can go to your site, mymortgages.ie, and you can get a bit of information there. What, yeah. what, what about just just very quickly, say something like a car loan, which nowadays most of them are PCP. Um, I know this is not your department, so to speak, but you reckon there's going to be problems there as well? I mean, I mean, can people equally get on to whoever it is, whatever finance company is organising the PCP? I'm sure they can do something on that. Well, absolutely. All creditors um, are, are, will treat people the same here. So what you need to do is, if you've got a mortgage, a credit card, a car loan, a PCP agreement, whatever it is, finance for maybe furniture, you need to you need to contact all of your creditors, explain your situation to them, explain that you're looking for some sort of relief, hopefully on a temporary basis, and all of these will have to work with people. So, it's, it, and it's a matter as well, Niall, what's important is that people prioritise um, what they are paying yeah. um, and what they can pay, and, and just to do their best and to be seen to be doing their best. Like, for example, you know, I remember the last recession, you'd often meet somebody that maybe they hadn't paid their mortgage for six months, but they're, you know, some other loan, which may, may not be as important uh, in keeping a roof over their head, could have been fully up to date. So you need to, you know, talk to people, get advice. Citizens' information is there in terms of the processes. But um, certainly in regard to the mortgage, contact your lender okay. immediately. Let them know your situation and they will they will be there to assist you. Okay, for those people, by the way, we're looking for that information. We will be talking to Citizens Information on the show tomorrow just after 12 o'clock as well. Listen, Joey Sheehan, uh, who is the head of the of credit at mymortgages.ie. Thanks for coming on the air and I appreciate the Thanks, information. Mate. All right, on a lighter note, Neve, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Neve? Hi, Niamh. How are you? Good. Nice to talk to you, Neve, in these difficult times. But, I mean... You too. Yeah. I mean, but your 10-year-old, what, did he, say, what did he say to you? <laughs> he came down this morning and he said... What can I do to help? Oh. But, no, isn't that, isn't, isn't, that, but isn't that really, I mean, I'm, what worries me, and Helena said this to me earlier on too about little people and, you know, and what they know, you know, and, and it worries me that because I'd hate to think the little kids are anxious because mammy and daddy are worried, you know what I mean? Yeah, you see, we, I, I've kind of been really careful with him because he, he, he's an anxious kid in normal times. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This guy's going to fall in. He's chicken little. Right. So kind of been careful with them, but what I did was obviously he didn't watch the entirety of Rackers' speech because he'd be in oh. John of God's right now. Oh, okay, right. So, so he, I, he takes things very seriously. So yeah. very seriously. So I basically I showed him the little clip. I said, "Do you know?" I said, "Do you know who Leo Varadkar is?" And he didn't. So I explained that first off, and then I showed him the little clip that Leo basically spoke to the children. How do you explain Leo Varadkar to a 10-year-old? Do you, see, like, do you say, like, he's our Donald Trump? Is that what you say? No, no. I just, <laughs> said, I just said he's in charge of the country right now. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Pretty basic. Okay. He's the boss. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, he, thought he, was the pre- he thought he was the president. So I said, right, yeah. That's Same thing. Know. Yeah, yeah, okay. That'll do. That'll yeah, yeah. Do. So he, um, he saw that and then he came down so he said, what can I do to help? And I was so full of pride and everything. I said, God, you're a great little boy and thank you so much. And I thought, Mammy of the Year, I've brought him up so well. And 
I'm wonderful. And then he said, well, I better. He said, Leo told me to. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Leo, that's right, because he did say to all the young people out there to have an understanding of your parents. Yeah, it's a help. <laughs> so, so oh, by the way, I mean. Thanks, Leo. I got the hoovering done, so. And how are, you, how are you, Neve? I mean, your partner I know works uh, in the city in, in Dublin because you told us before. Mm. I mean, how is his job? Is it looking safe? I mean, is everything okay there? Uh, not really. I think we're on a day-to-day basis. Uh, okay. They depend. They're in a chain, so they depend on other people. They have to go in places to ins- to do installations and stuff. So if they're told you can't come in, well, then yeah, their stop. place. Yeah, if the, if the business, and this is the knock-on effect. When people talk about the bars and restaurants, it's not just the bars and restaurants. People have to supply bars and restaurants. Mm-hmm. Workers have to go in and, you know, fix the plumbing in a bar and restaurant. Uh, and they, you know, uh, there's a knock-on effect, a massive knock-on effect for everybody. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm, try- I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to panic. I had a little cry at Leo's speech, not because it was bad, but just because it kind of got to me. Right. Um, the seriousness of the whole thing, I suppose. When he talked, when he talked, do you know, it was that one line when he said, ring your, ring your family, tell them that you will see them again soon. I was like, oh, that's it. That was, gone. That oh, was okay. enough for me. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm far away from my parents, can't go and see them. They're very elderly. They're fine. That's, that's you know, and I watched the clip yesterday on RT News of the kids having the little parade in the kitchen. And, and, and the, the grandparents were outside the glass door waving in at them. And I'm going, oh it's my awful. God, this is terrible. It's awful. Yeah. And it's like grandparents, you know, they just want to hug their grandkids. Of course they you do. Know, and, and, they're, and now my parents are worried about us. I keep saying, no, don't worry about us. We're fine. But their parents, they're my parents. So they worry about me like I worry about my kids. Yeah. And you're, so you have two people to worry about. You have your kids to worry about and your grandparents. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm not worried about them. I mean, they're sensible. Thank God. I mean, they're very elderly. They they hate me saying that, but they are. But they're strong, thank God. And they're mentally strong. Yeah. You know, so this isn't getting to them. I mean, Dad brought in something from the garden the other day. Mum asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm working from home. Right. You know, he's 91. (laughs) You know, <laughs> I'm working from home. He's working from home. He's 91, is he? He's, he's, a, ni- yeah. Yeah, he's only he a young ni- man. He's 91 in October. Yeah, he's. he's um, yeah. Well, look, I, I think for elderly people generally, and I think most elderly people are aware, even before we had this, to be very conscious, you know, around flu season and stuff like that as well. So they are very conscious of all those kind of things because, of course, you know, even the ordinary flu can be quite dangerous for an elderly person uh, to get. But, when, of course, this is obviously a little bit more dangerous. But in saying that, we still always have to remember that the majority of people will get through this, even elderly people, by the way. Can I point I know, that out to everybody? I, I... You know I'm kind of I mean? so sorry for them though because they're constantly being mentioned. It must be awful. I know, yeah. Like, uh, we'll all be grand now except for the except elderly. Except for the elderly, and yeah. Like, and the poor I elderly know. are watching this going, please. I know, and so I, I want to say that to all the elderly people listening, even if you are 70 or 80 years of age, if you did get this, most likely you'd be fine as well. Yeah. It just, so unfortunately, there's a higher percentage of elderly people that aren't fine. But listen, Eve, it was lovely talking to you. That was a nice story to hear that your 10-year-old wanted to help because Leo told him to. After the break, by the way, there are some people out there who are more vulnerable than others and uh, they want to get the message across about social distancing. Everybody knows the rules at this stage, but I hope you all do, but washing your hands, social distancing unnecessary, you know, parties or, you know, if you have a, I'm sadly, if you have a wedding or an 18th birthday party or whatever, they all have to be cancelled just for the moment, large groups of people together. And there's a reason for that, of course, isn't it? I mean, it's not because most of us are at risk, because most of us are not at risk. Uh, the majority of this population won't be at risk, but some people are. Ash Spillan, who has cystic fibrosis, uh, wants to talk about the importance of that social distancing. And Ash, good afternoon to you. 
Hi, Renard. How are you keeping? Um, Ash, 27 years of age. And, and how are you feeling generally in okay health, apart from the fact that obviously you have cystic fibrosis, but how are you feeling generally? Are you, are you coping well with it? Yeah, no, I'm I'm doing well, trying to keep busy regarding the whole situation, you know. Um, mm-hmm. As I was saying, there's always plenty to do with the house, you know, to keep yourself busy. So are you, well, obviously, you're more conscious of, you know, self-isolation and social distancing than anybody else, but you have to get out every now and again to do certain things, I suppose, and this is what worries you. Yeah, well, I, I'm lucky in the sense, you know, obviously I'm going out for walks and stuff like that because exercise is a very important part of um, the CF regimen. But um, my mom is um, going out um, of the house if if I need anything from the shops and stuff like that. Um, so I am essentially just walks. That's about it. Um, but anything else, I'm staying at home. And and then what's the danger of I suppose cross contamination in some way that if your mom is going out to get your stuff and unfortunately she could pick it up and not even know she's picked it up and then coming back to you, that's this is the danger. And even though you're not you know really interacting with people your messages to other people that your mum is out there and she has to come back to you, I suppose. Yeah, she, she's being very vigilant, obviously, going out. She has the hand sanitizer and the death wipes with her. And um, she's only going out when it's 100% necessary. Um, even ourselves now, for, like for next week, we actually have our shopping. It's going to be delivered by Tesco. Okay. Um, you know, we're, we're just trying to take every um, precautionary measure we can. But at the moment, she's, you know, she's going out. She has her hand sanitizer. She has the death wipes. Um, she's very quick in, in and out the shop and obviously washing her hands she takes off her um, jacket and everything that she was wearing and puts it away you know, she doesn't have it around the house um, when she's coming back in yeah so, so I mean the, the, like, the, the, it's all about keeping the risk of course because the risk to you is huge because even a common yeah. cold or flu is devastating to you but something like this would be even more devastating obviously yeah that's exactly you know for obviously anyone probably with an underlying illness you know I suppose isolation and keeping ourselves away from people who are sick is nothing new to us, essentially. But um, obviously, the risk of us is it is a lot greater mm-hmm. um, regarding COVID nineteen. Of course, because of the SARS element of it and the, the respiratory element of it as well. Exactly. And, and from your observation and what you're seeing around you on TV and and out and about when you're doing your walk, are people generally being, I suppose, obedient is a good word to use uh, to the suggestion by government? You know that you you stay your keep your distance, don't shake hands, don't hug or kiss anybody, and uh, don't stay too close to people. Do you think people are being observant of that? I think. I think. A lot of people are, they, they, you know, we, and we have to commend those people and fair play to them to actually, you know, adhering to the guidelines. But there is, you still have that small percentage that aren't. Yeah. And, you know, they're, I suppose, they're the people we're trying to reach right now regarding this. And the message you want to get to them is it's not about you as such because realistically if you're 30 years of age or actually as they found out in Korea in the stats people between the age of 20 and 29 who had it didn't even know they had it when they tested them, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people won't even know they have mild symptoms particularly younger people and they kind of carry on with life as normal and they think sure I'm grand but what you're saying is don't be thinking about yourself think about who you might spread it to and they might not be grand. That's it. That's the, that's the most important thing I suppose trying to get across is, you know, think about who's in your life, who's in your circles. And, you know, you might necessarily have anyone in your immediate family who might be sick, but you might have a friend whose parent or they have a, could have a grandparent. And it, it's all that chain of passing on that, um, I suppose, is what we're concerned about. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, absolutely. And and listen, I wish you well and I wish everybody who's in a very vulnerable situation. And we've spoken in the past to uh, many people with cystic fibrosis. Um, and obviously th- th- there's always that concern about illness, generally speaking, be it even the flu or something like that. But this must be a very difficult time for everybody who has an underlying condition who has to kind of self-isolate. And I suppose just keeping yourself busy at home, Ash, how's that been? It's um, it's going okay. Like I'm generally what I'm doing is every night I'm writing out a list of stuff I can do the next day. Just right. very small tasks, you know, like even yet, yes, there's like put on three washes just to you know get my clothes kind of. Yeah, you know, there's only so much. Ironing. There's only so much Netflix one person can look at, really, isn't there? That's <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like surprisingly enough, even though I have Netflix, I'm not. I, I wouldn't. I'm not really a Netflix person. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah. So I'm just trying to be productive in other ways. Um, like That's I said, you know, for anyone, you know, it's like even so. You know, like in times like this, it's very easy to stay in bed late, you know, not get dressed and yep. like watch Netflix all day. But um, yep. like you said, there's only there's only so much of that you can do before you start getting sick of it. And your mind almost turns to mush, I think, when you're constantly staring at the TV all day as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thank you very much. It's a point very well raised. And it's to everybody out there, think of people like Ash and many other people, uh, particularly our elderly as well, who'd be in a difficult situation when it comes to this. And uh, maybe, you know, they are self-isolating at the moment, but they will always have to have some sort of contact with other people who may not have been self-isolating. So, yeah. yeah. It's just, I, I think the main thing about it is, you know, like, obviously, like, just the people going to work and using public transport, it's just about being smart about it. And in those situations, maximising your social distance as you can, as much as you can. Okay. Um, you know, that's why I would say to people in those situations, you know, it's just like, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, to have to have to think of people like yourself in the back of their mind and not just themselves. And I don't mean that in a selfish way that they're thinking of themselves. But most people think, sure, I'll be fine if I get it. But it's to think of you who may not be fine if you get it. That's the point you're trying to make, of course. That's it, yeah, exactly. But listen, thank you very much, Lydia. I wish you well. Ash Spillan, who has cystic fibrosis and the, talking about the importance of social distancing. By the way, just before we go to the break, uh, loads and loads of bad news, of course, all around the world and not just Ireland. But the good news today, somebody pointed out, is that diesel prices are at the lowest they've ever been. Somebody just sent me a photograph there in County Clare, uh, where diesel is one seventeen a litre. Yes, of course, because crude oil prices have plummeted. If there was anything good at all come out of it, that's the only thing that's good to come out of it. And I noticed it myself when I filled up my car the other day that uh, it cost me ten euro less to fill it up. I think everybody's noticed that. Uh, keep texting, keep WhatsApping. The number is zero eight seven one double eight treble zero eight. Want to hear your experiences? So many people, so many questions. Because everybody has their own individual situation uh, that we all want to know the answer to. By the way, somebody mentions as well now. Why does the news announce how many people have gotten over it? The original cases diagnosed would be out of isolation by now. How come they don't report it if the well-being or not all uh, there being oh, some, some new cases and deaths, right? Oh, in other words, if they're talking about new cases and deaths, why don't they tell us about the people who are well again? Well, I think we can make an assumption that the first people who got it and sadly, only two people passed away. Well, that, that, that's good news and it's bad news for obviously those people and commiserations to the people who passed away and their families. And both of those, by the way, those two deaths that we had, had underlying conditions. But I think it's important to mention, yes, that the people who got it initially at the start, remember the ones that went off on the skiing trips out to northern Italy, I'm assuming they're all out of isolation now at this stage and they're well again. I think it's an assumption that we must make that the majority of people, and let's be clear, we have to say this once again because it's a very positive thing to think about through these very tough times, is that the majority of people, you know, 98 or 99.9% of people probably, there's different statistics around the world, okay? If you look at Korea, for example, it's a low mortality rate. Italy has a higher mortality rate. And let's be clear why Italy has a higher mortality rate is because they have a very old population. So it tends to be elderly people or those with underlying conditions. So 
when we look at the mortality rates around the world, yeah, the majority of the vast majority of people, even those who are elderly, uh, will be fine, will be okay. You'll get a really bad cold, maybe some of you, or some of you'll get very mild symptoms. And then there's some of you as well, mainly between the age group, as they pointed out in Korea and the stats that they have, between the ages of 20 and 30 years, uh, 30 years of age, who won't even know they have it. So that, that's, you know, how you think about it, okay? The majority will be absolutely fine. Now, of course, if you do get symptoms, the first place you're going to turn to to try and relieve some of those symptoms uh, is your local pharmacy. And Laura Dowling is from, the, uh, from Lloyd's Pharmacy. Good afternoon to you, Laura. Hello, how are you? Uh, Laura, I'm assuming it's a silly question for me to ask, but you're out the door at the moment, I imagine. We are. We're, we're very, very busy at the moment in, in all our pharmacies uh, nationwide. Okay, and, and the, the whole idea today is we want to, I suppose, have people have the understanding that there's no need to panic. There's plenty of supplies of the regular drugs people would have been getting before for whatever illnesses they may have had or prescriptions they would have had before. And all the stuff that's needed is there. There's no need to panic. Absolutely. We are trying to reassure our patients and our customers that there is no need to stockpile meds. There is plenty of supply of medicines uh, nationwide, all throughout Ireland. There ha- so there's no need to stockpile. And, mm. and we're trying to manage a situation where we always have medicines for, for everyone that needs them. So we are only giving out a month's supply of medicines. And this has been, you know, this has been the limits that is imposed on us by the regulatory bodies as well. But I, I fully agree with it because if pe- people do start to stockpile, yeah. It means that some people will be left without. Yeah, because people do. I mean, in times like this, you know, anxiety kicks in. People start to panic, uh, you know, and then they start noticing illnesses which they may not have noticed before. I mean, we get yeah. a little bit of a cold, and all of a sudden, where we would have just dealt with it before and and kind of left it for a couple of days before we visited Lloyd's to get a, uh, you know, some medication, we would have ignored it before. Now we're kind of panicking a little bit. So I imagine things like paracetamol are in big demand. They are. Paracetamol and ibuprofen have been in big demand. Um, well, all, what about, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, stores. but in relation to the ibuprofen, there's mixed stories about ibuprofen at the moment and myths online and stuff like that. So let's just alleviate that very quickly if we can. It, it is safe to take ibuprofen, isn't it, if you have a temperature? There is no data that suggests that there is, that, that it isn't safe. And in actual fact, the uh, European Medicines Authority have come out today with a statement to say just that. Okay. Um, and our HSE website is... Um, full of information and full of up-to-date information that it updates daily, if not if more than once a day. Okay. And it has come out and said that ibuprofen is to be considered to be used, if necessary, in order to reduce um, fever and aches and pains associated with, yeah. with so food. Like let's all so. stop just and stop, ignore these WhatsApp messages with these stories. Oh, listen, if, yeah. if I could just get the message out to ignore the WhatsApp messages and to, to ignore the, the social media as well that surrounds mm. it, that isn't by, you know people in, in, in the medical field, yeah. then we'd, we'd all be a lot happier, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm assuming there is a little bit of a backlog, uh, you know, when you're going in to get your prescription, where normally you might have had to wait, you'd be standing in Lloyd's tapping your foot for 10 minutes, you might be waiting 20 minutes or half an hour now, because a lot of people obviously want to get their meds and stuff like that. So there is, so I suppose the, the, the word out there is just be patient, I imagine. Well, I think so. And, and certainly with Lloyd's Pharmacy, we are, all our pharmacies, 91 of them na- nationwide, remain open and operational. And our, our primary concern is that we serve our patients and our communities. So we've, in, we've put in place a number of protocols just to ensure that everyone gets looked after and in a safe manner. So just in terms of people coming for their prescriptions, we're asking them to phone ahead if there are repeat prescriptions so we can get it all ready for them and, and hand it to them. Um, as soon as they come in for it rather than them waiting in store. We are limiting the amount of people that we are allowing in the store at any one time and that's just, 
in order to keep the social uh, distancing, keep in yeah. time with the social distancing as advised by the HSE. Uh, we're also asking people to maybe if they are coming with a prescription that they've just received, that they, they, we take it from them at the door, they, they wait in a car for it, and then we'll either phone them when it's ready or we'll give them an approximate time, say 10, 15 minutes, that it will be ready and they can come and collect it then to avoid the numbers of people that are, that are in our store. We're also advising people to pay with contactless where possible yep. for uh, the whole hygiene reasons. Of course, they'll be handling money, of course, yeah. Exactly. And then obviously it's, it's very important that people, if they are experiencing symptoms of COVID-19, I'm sure everyone is aware of them, but maybe I'll just remind everyone it's a cough, a shortness of breath, maybe some difficulty breathing and, and a fever, that they don't come into the pharmacy with those symptoms, that they phone the HSE helpline, which is one eight fifty twenty four one eight fifty, or their GP and and get the appropriate advice. Because there is a lot of confusion around this because, you know, people would have normally come into you guys with a cough or a cold anyway. And, and yes. let's be clear about it. You can still get a cough, you can still get a cold and you can still get the flu. It doesn't necessarily yes. mean you have COVID-19. So, Absolutely. But if you do have those symptoms, obviously because of the confusion and the concerns around our elderly at the moment and not spreading it on yeah. to other people, you know, yeah. ring the GP first. Not Don't wander into, into Lloyd's while you're coughing and sneezing with your tissue in your hand. Yes, exactly. I just think that it, it, it's just for for basic for everyone for for our, for our colleagues in store, and then for everyone that that you might be come in contact with on your journey to the pharmacy as well. It's really important, uh, and it's worthwhile noting too that the GP surgeries are also saying don't just turn up with these symptoms either. They're supposed to be phoned in, and the, and the GP will assess you first and foremost over the phone and tell you whether or not they need to see you for a respiratory check or whether you should. Or, or whether they need to, to order a COVID-19 test for you either. So, mm-hmm. And then you certainly don't turn up to the hospital with it either, you know, without phone ahead. It's just to make sure that everyone is safe as possible, certainly our frontline workers. And of course, you mentioned the COVID-19 test. Um, we're getting news in all the time and updates, and I'm sure you probably get them more than we do in relation to, I know there's an Irish company at the moment who, who believe they have a test that will test people within 15 minutes, with, and fair play to them, it's an Irish company, which is great, uh, and that test should be widely available very, very soon. And there's been other companies in America producing tests, similar type of tests. This will all, of course, help if we can all identify ourselves, and if we have a home test, wouldn't that be great, that we can all identify if we have it, and then we can self-isolate to protect others is there any news on that or any news say for example on as we had with the swine flu we had Tamiflu came out about three months after the swine flu which helped alleviate uh, the, the symptoms of the swine flu is there any news on any of that coming soon? So I think that you know there's scientists working tirelessly around the world for uh, a remedy for this flu and um, there are certainly a number of drugs being trialled for it and a number of drugs have shown to alleviate symptoms of anything but we're, we're certainly we don't have the answer just yet in terms of the drug that works or the vaccine that's going to be made either and then in terms of the home testing kits I think they're a bit of a while off too we're going with the, the testing kits that are, that are being provided by the HSE there are 30,000 due to drop in the next couple of days uh, I think and then we're just going to, to follow the protocol there and as and when things change and if the HSE approves home testing then that will be that will certainly be, 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 be a help but until they approve it then we're only going with, with the guidelines that they're suggesting too and certainly in Lloyd's Pharmacy we, we would always go by the HSE guidelines wherever um, whenever possible. All right, so the message is, I know you, you represent your own shop there in Blanchestown, but also, um, or I'm sorry, St. Organs, St. Organs, should I say, <laughs> but you also represent all the branches of Lloyd's Pharmacy as well. The main message is, don't panic, we have your meds, and even these, we're talking about meds, of course, that people would have been taking regularly uh, before all this came along. There's going to be no shortage, you don't need to stock up on six months' supply of it or anything like that. So just exactly. do things as you normally would have done them. 
Exactly. And just follow the protocols that we all have had <laughs> uh, told us to us numerous times now with our correct hand washing, our cough and sneeze etiquette and our, and our social distancing. And if we can all do that, and I know it's very difficult. I have three children myself that I'm keeping from my grand, from my parents and everyone's finding it very difficult. Um, but I think if we all do that, we're going to keep our, ourselves safe. Are, are people that are more vulnerable safe and then we're also going to prevent our hospitals from becoming overwhelmed with this virus so they can look after everyone and that our front, uh, our, our, our healthcare workers in there on the ground can, can look after people safely and, and carefully and healthily and, and hopefully we'll all come out of this um, a bit more cognizant of, of the way we deal with things. All right, well, listen, thank you very much indeed. And thank you to everybody, by the way, who works not just in the, in the caring industry and in the hospitals, but people who work in the pharmacies who are also on the front line as well. I appreciate it, all right? Thank you very much indeed, Laura. Uh, all right, uh, let me just go, if I can, to Vera Toomey. Now, Vera, you may remember, has been on the air with us many times over the last few years. Of course, she walked from her native Cork all the way to Dublin to get the laws changed around her daughter, Ava, uh, who suffers um, very greatly with having seizures. And, of course, the reason she was doing that was to get legalised medicinal cannabis. And she joins me on the air because she has her own concerns now at the moment. Vera, good afternoon to you. Hi, Niall. How are you? Lovely to talk to you again, Vera. Just when we thought you were okay and everything was all right, you're very upset because you can't get the meds for your daughter now. I um, I just heard that lady uh, speaking there on the phone, you know. Um, I'm sorry, on your on the radio, on your programme. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I just rang because uh, that isn't what's happening in my life here at the moment at all. And okay. there's... there's um, there's, there's, there's more than nearly up to 30 other families in the country that are in exactly the same situation that we're in now. Um, okay. So uh, explain the situation when we talk about medicinal cannabis. And yep. uh, Okay, so, you know, you do have permission to get it legally. You can get it legally. Um, obviously, that's all changed since the last time we spoke to you. Um, but the problem is actually getting it. The problem is getting it. We have, a, we have an individual licence to access um, medical grade cannabis for our daughter under prescription for her intractable epilepsy for her seizures. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and excuse me, we have been travelling to Holland every 12 weeks for the last two years now. It's been that long. Okay. Um, to, to get Ava's medication over in, the, in Den Haag in the Netherlands. The prescription is over there and we must collect it and bring it home ourselves. Okay, so the law legally states that you have a licence to be in possession of it, right? But yes. but unfortunately, nobody is going to supply it to you over here. And why, can you explain to us, Vera, why that is? Why you can't actually get the supply over here? Or why it can't be imported for you, say, by a pharmacy or by a I doctor? I can, of course, yeah. The, the, the problem with the injection, they, they, they said to us, Dutch side, they said that, the HSE, I beg your pardon, said that the Dutch were not in a position to export the oil out of the country. Oddly, they can export the cannabis bud or the flower, but not the oil. Okay. So that was why we had to travel to get it ourselves. Okay, so essentially so, this is cannabis resin, I suppose, more so than an oil. Yes. I, un- um, I, un- I un- Well, un- yeah, it, 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 they seem to be able to export the resin, yeah. I believe, but okay. not, not the oil. medication, which oh, okay. is an oil. Okay. okay, so so that was all well and good, and, and although it was a really huge inconvenience for you, the problem is now is... You did it anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, the problem is now is you can't travel to this country to get it. Well, you see... Our daughter, and you know, I, I would I would suggest that a lot of the people that have prescriptions for medical cannabis 
their immune systems would be compromised. Yes, so of course. In, in our own personal experience, our daughter's uh, immune system is extremely compromised. And she, um, uh, she would be a person that would be extremely vulnerable to the coronavirus. Yep. So if I travelled over to get the medication for her, then I will be taking um, the flight from Cork to, to Schiphol, the, 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 the train from Schiphol down to Den Haag, the tram over to the, to the pharmacy and back again. So there's 500 cases of coronavirus at the last count that I was made aware of in Holland. I would be exposed to it. I and the last thing you want to do is interact with thousands and thousands of people just to get this medication when, when there should be an easier way for, this, for you to there access it. And just regarding the easier access to it, okay, um, the patients over in England who are using the Bedrocan medication that Ava is on, the Home Office in England organised it for those families that there was a distributor sent to Holland to collect it on their behalf and that that distributor brought it back to England and it was dispensed via their pharmacies in England and Northern Ireland. But the HSE never did that for us. So we're stranded here now. I can't go for the medication for the child. And if I don't have the medication, her seizure control... I know, because you, you spoke to us before about how many seizures yes. she was having versus yes. how many she, she was down to because of the medicinal cannabis uh, that you were giving her. Obviously, it reduced. Yeah. And, and obviously, every seizure is a risk to her life, a huge it, risk to her life. It is a huge risk, and it can set back the amounts of progress that you're after making very quickly. You know, mm-hmm. if you had a cluster of 10 seizures, it could knock out three months of effort or work or progress just in a flash. Okay, um, and how has she been since the last time we spoke to you? How has she been? Is she is she a lot better? Because obviously you've been getting the medicinal cannabis up to now. She's been so happy. She's been good. I mean, we she's prone to infections as a general rule, and there have been ups and downs. We've missed some school and so forth. But I mean, overall, she's nearly been in school every day. That's great. Um, yeah. So she was back to some level of normality. But now you find yourself in a situation where not only does she have to self-isolate anyway, which would be the logical yep. thing to do, and yep. but now you're self-isolating because obviously you're a risk to her and you have no way of getting over to Schiphol to get this medication. I'm very afraid and there are plenty other women like me out there with children and, uh, or, you know, and, and men too, patients that are, are frantic, actually frantic over this. And have I you, have you talked to the HSE in relation what they're do, to what they're doing in the UK for people oh, like listen, you? And what I, have they said to you? I, I have. I've, I've, I've got on. I tried the HSE number. I couldn't get through on the HSE number. I emailed them. I haven't even got a response. I haven't even got a response from the HSE. And look at, we were years dealing with them. And you feel you're just being forgotten and, about now in the middle of all this. And they never... They were never, they were never helpful at the best of times, you know. But I suppose you carry on and you keep hoping that there'll be some event or something that they will actually come out and help you, and they just aren't. And I can, I can hear in your voice how upset you are, and I know this is really upsetting for you because you thought you'd passed all this. You thought, I mean, you, you, you walked from Cork to Dublin for God's sake, and you nearly killed yourself in the process of doing that, and you did all this for your daughter. Uh, and rightly so, any mother would do this for a daughter. And now you're in a situation where you've done everything you can and now another hurdle has been put in front of you. 
Well, you'd never think that there could be anything more dangerous than the level of seizures that the child was having, you know? Mm -hmm. But this is more dangerous. And I wouldn't give, I wouldn't want my worst enemy to be in the situation that we're in here. We can't go for it because it's too dangerous to go for her. But we, if we stay at home and do nothing, the consequences of her not having her medication will, will be catastrophic. They, I mean, it, I, can't, I can't express how dangerous it is. Well, I, well, 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 I say, I, I, again I, I, coming I, out on the radio suggesting that there's plenty of medication for everybody. There might be paracetamol and there might be, there might be enough calpol and neurofin to keep us going. But we're, we're sitting here, people that are forced out of our own country in the first place, like why we shouldn't be, to get this medication. And now, in, a, in, in, a, in an international crisis, they don't, even, they don't even reply to an email. We're, we're very afraid. I have contacted all the politicians I can. And, I, I tried and you Simon just feel you're coming against a brick wall again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I tried Simon Harris. He never answered the phone. I tried Simon Coveney. He actually did answer the phone. He said he was going to go away and, and look at it. He didn't know what the answer was. Haven't heard back from him as of yet. So if he's listening, get back on to me and let me know what you're going to do about it, please. I've had Michal Martin on, and Michal Martin is actually doing everything he possibly can to help us, but he can't do it on his own. So and just to mention, by the way, there's many other people in your situation. And by the way, somebody's just texted in, uh, well, they've WhatsApped in, actually, and it's a foreign number. I don't know. I'm not too sure where that's from. It looks like it's American, actually. And it says, Niall, if that lady online, uh, Reed Cannabis Oils, needs help, I can help her. It is legal where I come from, obviously, medicinal cannabis. And he says, I can mail it over to him, over to her. I understand. Oh, it's I a, know. He says, I understand it's illegal in Ireland. However, if she needs it, uh, she needs it, you can send her my info. I know, and I appreciate that. And look, at, I put out a post about Ava's situation up on Facebook, and the, the, the response to it has been unbelievable. The, the kindness, the amount of people that have contacted and offered to travel over for us on her behalf, and so, so much like that. It's not as straightforward. Our name must be on the license. Well, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Although, otherwise, the transaction is technically illegal and, and that person may put them... By the way, the person just wept that back in. They said they're actually in Canada. So obviously, yeah. they, whatever part of Canada he's in or in Canada, medicinal cannabis is legal. Or he, legal she, there. Sorry, she. But he would be putting himself at risk, I would think, by sending something over into a jurisdiction where it's illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and Although you do have a license, but your name would have to be on it. I, I know, I, I get what yeah. you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, listen, I wish you well, uh, Vera. And, you know, and I want you to keep in touch with us and let us know how you get on. Obviously, you know, people are listening today and maybe Simon Coveney or Michal Martin. And I know you've spoken to them already. And maybe they, I know they have a lot on their mind at the moment. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not giving them excuses. Uh, no, they, no, no, no. I, I know they have a lot on their plate. And the thing was that I, you have no idea... Kind of when, when I put that post up on Facebook, I never thought there'd be so much of a response to it because you know why everybody's so worried about their families and their parents and their grandparents and everything that um, but but people have been very kind and they see that um, 
they see Ava, Ava just needs help, as do all the other people. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. It's not a big deal. And there may be there may be issues that can't be resolved, you know, but this is actually a very straightforward issue to resolve. We just we just need them to send a distributor to collect our medication and bring it home. You know? OK, and, and of course it's a life or death situation for you and I understand, well, for your daughter and I understand that and for many other people in that situation. Yeah, yeah. All right, listen, it's been lovely talking to you again, Vera, and I wish you well and I wish you and your daughter um, a safe passage to this very uncharted territory that we're in Please at the moment. God, and the same, the same to you and thanks for, thanks for talking to us. We appreciate it very much. OK, thanks, Vera. All right, well, there you go, Vera Toomey, who, uh, as you all know, uh, we've spoken to her many times on the air, particularly when she went through that whole... Uh, dilemma trying to get the license uh, legislation through for herself and for her daughter Ava as a young girl who suffers from seizures and when he, any of those seizures could kill her at any stage and obviously as a mother she's worried about her daughter now that she can't get out to get this uh, uh, medical uh, medicinal cannabis um, so indeed uh, Simon Harris and um, Simon Coveney and Leo Radker and everybody else in the HSE who is involved maybe you could do something similar to what they've done in the UK and nominate a distributor to actually get it for them uh, rather than putting them at risk uh, sending them to get it in, in Schiphol as she says she has to go and get it and, and travel all the way over on planes and trains and buses and trams and uh, put herself and her daughter at great risk in relation to the NCT centre somebody sent in a question earlier on the car is in for an NCT tomorrow the NCT centres are open um, I can clarify that uh, we did have one guy who said he works in it and, and there's something I want to mention he says oh look now we have to work on it I don't know how comfortable I am about getting in and out of people's cars you know there's people out there working in shops sitting at checkouts and they have to serve people I think you could go down a very deep rabbit hole if we start thinking about life like that as a country and as a people, we have to get through this. And the only way we'll get through it is, is that some people are going to take more risks than others. And if you are older and you're working in an NCTC centre or you're working in a shop, of course, you talk to your employer about keeping your distance from customers. But if you are in the age bracket, which is probably not going to be too badly affected by this, I think you probably have to take the risk. Because otherwise, the country will come to a halt. Electricity, gas, diesel, um, uh, suppliers of food, pharmaceuticals, all the caring industry, hospitals, all have to provide a service and put themselves in some level of risk for the rest of us. And I think if you are working in those industries, that's the job and that's part of it. And we all have to do it. We all have to play our part. And if playing your part means putting yourself at a little bit of risk uh, when you're supplying food, when you're supplying goods or services which are vital and are needed, I think we all have to pull together and do that. Now, of course, things will be easier if we all get tested and test kits, uh, 30,000 test kits will be arriving in uh, Dublin tomorrow, according to Leo Varadkar in his statement. And the more people that get tested, the better it is for everybody, because then it gives us a better indication of how dangerous this actually is. And maybe, maybe not as dangerous as we thought, for example, hopefully not. And the more people that get tested, the more people can self-isolate. Well, Stephanie uh, Prisoner, uh, and I hope I pronounced her name right, Prisoner, uh, got tested in Crow Park uh, yesterday, I believe. Stephanie, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, I'm Prisoner. Prisoner, there you go. I've just mispronounced your name and I really apologise for that. I don't mind. Uh, Stephanie, first of all, why did you believe you needed to get tested or what what was going on with you? Um, So last Friday I started to develop a cough um, and a kind of a sore throat and I have, which I thought was from coughing, and I have asthma. Okay. So usually um, once a year I get a chest infection and I go to my doctor and I have to get antibiotics and the whole thing. So I was like, okay, this is probably this whole situation again, but I can't just go to the GP. So I rang my GP and said, hi, 
I have my cough and usual symptoms. And she said, have you travelled? And I said, I have. I was working in London seven days ago. Okay. And she said, okay, and asked me other questions and then said, I'd actually like you to get tested because... You're in the risk category. You're in the risk category with the asthma. So at that point, she put me on a list. And then yesterday morning, I had a call from the HSE. So that was Friday. And then yesterday morning, I had a call from the HSE to say that I was going to be one of the first people down in the Crow Park New Test Centre. I watched the video. Somebody sent me a video yesterday where it's the it's underneath the stand. It's like the tunnel effect, and and you drive through. So so you drove up to it. So what your doctor Um, did? Did your doctor have to give you a cert or something? They do ask you not to take photographs or video. So to tell you listeners that, Um, you drive up to the gate and a man asks you your name. He has a list of all the names of people who are due during that hour. Okay. and then you are ushered on to the next phase. And I, it's kind of like boarding a ferry. Like it's one car behind the other, behind the other. Okay. And there's three rows of that. And you're given um, an A4 page with instructions of how to turn off your engine, what not to do, what to do in the next bit. And you're handed a mask, which you're told to put on. And then when everyone gets that, you're, t- sorry, you're ushered to the next phase, which is under the stand. Okay. And in there, there are eight bays, and at each bay there are two medical staff who are wearing full gown, gloves, protective or PPs as they're called, protective. protective. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they, um, they usher you forward and tell you where to stop, and then one of them comes to the window, and she takes your name and your details, asks your symptoms, your travel history, and she gives you two tissues, and she explains that the next person that's going to come to the window is going to swab your nose and the back of your throat with the same swab Okay. and if you need to expel anything you are to do so into the tissues that they give you and not into your hand or the face of the person swabbing you Right. and then that person comes along and you roll down your window she swabs your throat which is and your nose with the same swab it's a little bit uncomfortable you know, I imagine yeah, it'd make you gag for like yeah. 7 seconds right, for like okay. 7 seconds Okay. and then they give you a 6 page document about what has happened, what the next steps are, what you can expect and how to protect yourself and others um, now that you are in social isolation, which you are asked to be in after until you get your results. And the results, I'm told, go back to the GP, okay. not to you directly. And, okay. um, so yeah, you, so you, uh, how long do you have to, so when did you get it, what time was it yesterday you got it done? 12 o'clock and I expect results, she said, three to four days. Oh, that's so a bit of a, bit of a wait, isn't it? We just heard that Kira Kelly has been tested positive for that's it. That's right, she was yeah, tested yeah. on Sunday night. So that's kind of the time we're dealing with. Okay, well, okay, so that's th- it is three days, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is yeah. yeah, I actually heard that on the, on the news there a few minutes ago, that Kira Kelly from News Talk, um, who is a doctor herself, by the way, um, yeah. has been has tested positive as well. And so she's in self-isolation at the moment. I don't know whether she's doing her show from home or what. I she think is, she is. She's I think she is. from a hot press for the last few days, I think. <laughs> from a hot press, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, All right. But look, so are you concerned? Is it like waiting for your leaving set results? I imagine it probably is, isn't it? It's not really, but I, I certainly have, like today I do have a temperature. I definitely have an infection, so... You definitely have a cold of some description, yeah. Yes, so if it's COVID-19, I need to stay in for the protection of others. And if it's not, I need to stay in for the protection of myself because I obviously have a depleted immune system because I'm sick with something at the moment. So I'm just sort of going on the basis that everyone has it and I'm keeping well away. So on the assumption that it might be, do you feel any worse than you've ever felt before when you have a cold? Um, I don't. I see it's it's kind of like the symptoms of several colds all at once, you know? Like yeah. sore throat. I, I don't usually get all of the things. 
But today I have a temperature and I have a cough, a cough which cough we just heard there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I don't have a very high fever and I don't have um, body aches and stuff. So I think the symptoms are kind of different for each person, and this mightn't even be it at all. But I'll know on Friday. Yeah, but look, you're you're holding out well anyway, and and yeah. most likely, I mean, you're in the age people. Well, I don't know your age, but I'm assuming that you're in the age category. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're not on a high risk age category, although you do have the underlying symptom of asthma. Although I have heard mixed reports from different doctors about how vulnerable you will be in that situation with asthma. Uh, many have said that it shouldn't affect it too much, but others have said that it will because obviously it's a respiratory um, infection or a respiratory yeah. problem. But look, I wish you well and I hope hope you're okay, Stephanie. Thanks so much, Rob. Yeah, and, and it sounds like you, you should be all right with this. You're probably going through the worst yeah. of it at the moment, I would imagine. And if, that's, if, this, if, if, if this is the worst of it, sure, you'll be grand. I will. I'll definitely survive. And I'm really glad to have things like radio and television to yeah. keep the company during this time. So thank <laughs> you for continuing to go to work. Oh, listen, Stephanie, thanks very much indeed. And Steph, thanks for coming on the air. Work. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, let me go to Sienna. Sienna, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Sienna? Hi, Niall. How are you? You just wanted to come on the radio for a chat. Yeah, I did. I'm browned off now. I can't go outside my jaw. Right. And, yeah, and now you are, you are a high risk because obviously you've had cancer treatment recently. Yeah. And um, and you're not I, and you're not that young either, Sienna. Pardon? You're not you're not that young. No, I'm not. I was sixty and I couldn't do anything a few days ago. I don't know. And and by the way, how are you? Because I know you've had the cancer treatments. How are you feeling generally? You feeling okay? No, I feel at stage four, and I am okay. Okay. I'm just round off. Right. And I, your daughter, who is your lifeline, and I've I've met you a few I, times, and she's always with you. I, I'm broken hearted. I can't see her. I know, I know. I, That's what's kidding me. And you talk to her on the phone all the time? Yes, I have her driven that. <laughs> I'm sure you I'm haven't. Just, I'm sure yeah. she's delighted to hear from you. And, you know, I mean, you know, and here I am. Like, I'm waking up at six in the morning, and, you know, here she is, me. like, she doesn't live with me. Don't even think of ringing me at six. Yeah. And I'm like, Mandy, I know, do you know what, now? It's not even just staying in business. Because uh, where would I be going? You know what I mean? I wouldn't be going too far anyway. Yeah. But it's the not being able to go out your door. I can't go down on the lift to see if any post. If I, well, I can't, but I have to go down the lift. I have to nearly sterilise all the lifts. And, it's not no, and try not to touch anything, yeah, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yes, you know. And, and how, are you so, getting, how are you getting your, your groceries? Is, is Mandy dropping them up to you? She's dropping them up to the job. Right, and then just knocking on the door and running away. And at the door, and she's running away, and I'm waving out to her. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I can't cope. And the little fella, and all the little, oh, he calls me Blanche. Right. And here he is. I can't even say Blanche. Right. I know. I know. It's, it's really tough. It is tough, isn't it? But you know what? There's people out there. I suppose there are. Well, there is people out there. But today, I don't know. It's morning. I was very, very down. I know, but you always, you've always you always got to remember that you're right. There's always people worse off than yourself, and that's what you have that's to think of, isn't it? People out the streets, you know, people yeah. are still going to be up to their eyes in death. People that their family are dying and they can't get to them. Yeah. I know, and but 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 I know I know because I've met you a couple of times during the, the listener parties and at book launches. I know you've been there, and your daughter, I because you're, you're I don't know you're mad as a brush, but I think she's even madder to be honest with you. So she's not really, no, she does she keeps you of, sane. Yeah, she does, but you kind of like nothing would surprise her what I come out with. 
Yeah, I know. You know be- you because you're a funny person, Sienna. You are a funny person. But that's just natural. I, I'll tell you, when this is all over, I'm going to do stand-up comedy in Vicar Street. <laughs> <laughs> With me. Oxygen machines and nebulizers. And I tell you, Niall, I will do it. I know you will. I, 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 I'll I, be I, honest I, with you, I'd buy a ticket, Sienna. I'd buy a ticket. You know what? You'd be guest of honour yourself and Gary Cunningham. Guest <laughs> of honour. Front seat road. Yeah, I know. And, and, and uh, Mandy will leave and buy it. I, Mandy will be our agent, for God's sake. Yes. People say no, Mandy. Say just keep her there for as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, look, give my regards and to Mandy. I've, I've met her a few times. She's lovely. She said to me, oh, I do miss you. That may be worse. I you know. know. Of course she messages Sienna. I know. But yeah. I'd be all right and everyone yeah. else. Yeah, but you have us to listen to on the radio as well during the day. I'd be lost without you. I would be lost. And I enjoy that chat now. Yeah. And please God, we will see each other soon. We will. We will. And, and I hope and I hope at Gary's next book launch, because I'm sure he'll have another book. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure I'll meet you again. I was talking to him the other day, actually. And uh, he's doing well, he's doing, you know, and I was going to say, do you want to drop up for a bit of coddle and a cup of tea? So I couldn't. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's heartbreaking, isn't it? But I'd be making the coddle. Yeah. And do you, do you FaceTime, Mandy? Do you get her, do, or do you know how to use, are you using FaceTime? Oh, no, I, I, I'd rather just ring. No, I'd right, okay. I would be able to talk then. i get all emotional. Would you? All right, okay. Even though I'm mad and all that, I'm a very emotional person. I know, I know. I'm sure you are. But you are mad. You have clarified that. that you are a bit oh, mad. Yeah. <laughs> mad and good. I'm telling you now, when I'm there, I'm up there in Dickens Street. You can know. But for there. those people who don't hear you, by the way, for those who don't know you, and I know you're at stage, you have stage four cancer, and I know all that, and, and, you know, and you're just happy. I know you're a happy person. You've been on the air at night talking about your sex life. And for oh, that, man, so yeah. that's how mad you are. <laughs> I know. All right, no, but look, no, but look keep the good side up, Sienna. Keep the happy side out, all right? Yeah, I have to tell you this, right? Did somebody put up on Facebook the other day? Did you know when you're asleep at night, uh, spiders go down your throat? And I know. Death goes off your tonsils. Right. There I was. That's my look again. I could be asleep. <laughs> I miss all this. I know, but I tell you what we're going to do, Sienna. We're going to make sure at night because we do at night time. We've tried. We're going to try uh, and obviously stay away from the topic of the coronavirus. Try and lighten people's moods. We will talk to you again on the nighttime show, and I'm sure you'll lighten up everybody's mood. And I hope you get to see Mandy very soon. Uh, keep texting. Keep WhatsApping. The number is oh eight seven one double eight travel zero eight. Somebody wants to know: is Sienna still looking for a man? Sienna's always looking for a man. There's a little text coming in. By the way, somebody says, "Nile, I'm one of those small business owners in Cork that had to close. It's absolutely devastating." Says Eileen. Yeah. Another person says, "Nile, I've just heard." an 86-year-old neighbour in Cork that some man in his 20s came to her door offering to sell COVID-19 testing kits. Uh, she was wise enough to send him away. Absolute scumbags. Please warn your listeners. Absolute scumbags. If anybody calls to your door offering to sell you a test kit or a cure uh, for COVID-19 or anything like it, please, please, please call the guards. Send them away and call the guards because they're scum. There is no such kit and there is no such cure. Alright, so please, please uh, advise your parents, by the way, if your parents are at home, that if somebody's calling at the door offering to sell some sort of cures or kits to, uh, to send them away. Let me go to Valerie just before we finish the show today. Valerie, you're on Classic Kits. How are you doing, Valerie? Oh, hi, Niall. How are you? Now, you've had a devastating night, not because of COVID-19, but because of Fifi, your dog. I did indeed. Yesterday morning at um, 10 to 12, we were um, we were attacked by a pit bull in our back garden. Came in through our gate, 
So you were in your house at the time? I was, yes. I was in my house. I was mopping my floor. And as, I, as all mothers do, you're mopping your floor and you make your way out the back door to keep the, get the floor dry. And the pit bull just came from nowhere. Well, came from the side entrance down the gable end, came around the back and jumped, got a hold of my dressing gown. And then... My so did it go? So it went for you first? Well, see, I was in the way. The door with okay. the dog was... In, my other dog was in front of me in the kitchen. Right, okay. So... Basically, I was in the way. The dog was coming through me. And then Fifi, of course, she came forward as well, barking and going, they were all going nuts. He grabbed her, put her into her mouth, and he started chewing her and wrapped her around like a rag doll. Oh, my. Oh, my. Um, and, and your dog, he's a little dog. It's a picture of him. Well, sadly, the, yes. picture, the pictures we've seen Tiny of him. Jack Russell. Little Jack Russell, he, yeah. Actually, we fostered him first, and then he was fostered, and then he was um, we, he was adopted. And he's here, what, 11, 13 years. Yeah. And so, so he's probably thirteen or fourteen years old. He's not. A, he's not a young dog. No, 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 no. But she's not. But she's like she was good, good, healthy dog. She was, you know, yeah, she was very yeah. well looked after. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that, that's basically what happened. So Fifi was, and I've seen the pictures. This dog basically locked its jaws on Fifi, threw her around like a rag doll, literally ripped her open, ripped her stomach open, and took out her intestines and started chewing them. Oh my! And then went for her neck, and ripped her neck. And unfortunately for Fifi, she didn't make it. Um, no, she didn't. No, and was she, did she die immediately, or did she die when you brought her? No, to the she didn't. I had to put her in the car and bring her to the Rohini vet, which they were absolutely fantastic. Okay, but it was too late. There was not a lot. It was too late. Yes, yeah. she, she lost was, a lot of blood. I'm sure at that stage uh, as well. So much, and as well as that, I mean, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't put her chest down back together. I know, I know. That was absolutely shocking, and of course, her age probably didn't help either as well. The age she was at as well, you know. But th- this dog. Um, it's it's in the neighbourhood. No, I don't want you to name the owner of the dog because well, no, I will not. No, no, yeah, no. but but the dog um, also attacked other people last year. The same dog. Well, as 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 the day progressed yesterday, we found out that the dog had um, attacked someone last year on the beach, and it took four men to control to take the dog off the person. And then we found out also that while our Fifi was in the vet, um, being getting getting the injection to be let let down. Um, it had attacked two other dogs before it attacked us, and another dog is dead as well. And did you you spoke to the Garda Shea Khan? I'm assuming spoken to the Garda Shea Khan. Um, I had spoken to the owner. Um, so yeah, yeah. I just, I'm just waiting to hear. I've been onto the, um, the the DSPCA as well. So and then let's um, be clear about this. And, and you're the first one to say this. Look, the dog obviously was quite vicious in doing this, but uh, and was yeah. on the rampage, right? But in saying that, this dog, I mean, a responsible owner having a dog like this, which is on the dangerous dogs list, um, should have had a muzzle on the dog. Well, this, this, this is one of the reasons why I want to speak to you, because, I mean, we have a dog similar to that. My son has, and it really depends on the owner of how you're wearing a dog, you know. I know, I know they have a, they, they can have a tendency to be vicious and stuff like that. But, I mean, these dogs, they, they need proper caring. They need to be on a leash. They need to be on a collar. They need to have their muzzle. This dog had nothing, absolutely nothing on it. And did the, I mean, again, I don't want you to name where the dog is from or where it came from. Did the dog have to run far to get to your house? It would, yes. Okay, so so it was obviously on the loose. Obviously, no, and it was missing, yeah, of course. And and would the owner of the dog, would the owner have let it off by accident, or do you think the owner just lets the dog ramble well, around? Well, that, that, that hasn't been that hasn't been said yet. Okay, all right, okay. Uh, um, we're still waiting for that. The Gardaí Calm will be dealing with that part. All right, okay. And and sadly, you know, the dog may have to be put down. Um, or it put will, to sleep, yeah. yeah, of course. But I mean, um, as I say, I think so, so precautions should have been taken. And last year, apparently, a terrier got attacked as well on on the beach. But by the um, same dog, yeah. By the same dog, so precautions should have been taken in 
at that time, but they weren't. Mm. And I really that's if really I remember, if I remember something. rightly, actually, that particular story was on social media at the time of it. That it time. Was indeed. Yeah, because yeah. I think we spoke to the owner, uh, not the yeah. owner. I think we spoke to the person whose dog was attacked on the beach this time last year by the same dog. Okay, I think so as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we did. We probably did because I remember that that story had gone all over social media at the time in relation to that particular attack yeah. last year. Well, listen, all I can say is is my condolences to you on the loss of Fifi. I mean, I'm sure she Thank was you. a member of the family, and I'm sure you're devastated. I know you didn't sleep last night. No, I haven't. I haven't slept a wink actually. Right. Okay. Uh, it's just it's just a horrendous thing to see. You hear about these things, but it's when you're seeing it and you you have no control. And my son was there, and you're trying to get the dog, and you're doing everything, you know. Um, but the dog will not let go. No, no. And it was lucky, you know, thankfully he only got a hold of your gown and he didn't get a hold of you. Oh, no, thank God, yeah, I just got a hold of dressing gown. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Well, listen, thanks for raising the issue and I appreciate you coming on the air today, Valerie, and I'm really sorry thank about the dog and, and, I, and I just, I hope you can get through I this. I just want to raise your awareness of the yeah. importance of people using muzzles on certain particular dogs that need to be, yeah. you know, looked after and trained well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, listen, thank you very much indeed, Valerie. And that's a shocking, shocking story. And for anybody who has any of the dogs that are on the dangerous dog list, you do have an obligation legally that you must be over 16 if you're walking the dog. You must have them on a, a decent lead and you also have to have a muzzle on them. And that's the very reason why. Uh, there she was at her own back garden, minding her own business. This dog comes belting through her gate, down the side of her house, attacks her and attacks her dog. And sadly, uh, her dog is now dead. After 13 years of surviving, it's killed by another dog. And all because of an irresponsible owner. Not blaming the dog directly, but all because of an irresponsible owner who couldn't be bothered looking after the dog. Damien Farrelly is on the way. Hopefully he'll brighten up the afternoon for you. Put a smile on your face, because we all need a bit of a smile on our face, don't we? Because anxiety levels are through the ceiling. We're all trying to compartmentalise information. And the bad news, it almost seems surreal, doesn't it? It seems like some sort of Hollywood movie. Um, that you would watch and you'd think about you watch the world through the eyes of a television screen but today we're watching it through our own eyes and we're watching what has happened something that'll go down in our history and something that we can tell everybody about as we get older and we will all get older don't worry we'll all get through this and we'll all get through it together Real people Real opinions Real talk radio The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show Classic hit.